Holly. Hey, Dave. Or should I go? <laughs> give you the. Well, in order for for our audience to know what you're doing, you have to give them a little hint. Two give slaps, them a verbal hint. Two slaps on the knee, and then a point. Actually, I think that's what you do when you leave, right? Or is, or is that was that her hello or her goodbye salute? We're talking about Susie a- Quattro, who was on Happy Days. You gave two slaps and then a point at that person. Like, hey, I see you. She was Leather Tescadero, and I think it was just a general greeting like aloha, but probably there are people who can correct us on that. Like aloha? <laughs> or shalom. Okay. Oh, it can mean hello or goodbye. Okay. Right. Oh, okay, I gotcha. All right, well, we... We're introduced to Susie Quattro through Leather Tuscadero. Of course, we learn a few years later, like, oh, Susie's got quite a catalog of music and she rocks and she's super cool. And and now we got the opportunity to talk with her. Not just that she rocked, but she was a trailblazer. I mean, she was a phenomenal singing bass player. She's re-releasing her 80s collection, uh, Rock Hard, Main Attraction, and Unreleased Emotion. By the way, that collection of albums that she's re-releasing is called The Rock Box. 50 years plus, Susie's still on the road and kicking it. She looks great and she's she's got some great stories. She's got the Susie Q documentary that Holly and I just watched and we're so we're still buzzing from that. And so we have questions and Susie has answers. Before we do, please Holly, while we have your attention and we tease you out. This is our teaser. Go ahead. Where can they find us? Please check out our YouTube channel. You will find outtakes from this interview and many others. Go to our YouTube channel at What Difference Does It Make Podcast. And also you will find some clips on our social media, WDDIM Podcast. Love that. New episodes every Friday. So subscribe. We're going into our virtual What Difference Does It Make studios and talk with Susie Quattro. Susie Q. Oh, look at that. She's got the wall. It's it's the bragging. It's the bragging wall. It's actually around the whole room. It's the drawing. And let me just turn on the light here for you. Got a nice light shot. I feel like I want to screenshot that and use it as my own. You're right. <laughs> they make good decoration in the dining room. Yes. They just they just look good. Yeah. <laughs> or we can just earn some. We're, so home is in England? Yeah, I've been in uh, England since 71, and I've lived in Essex since 75 in the countryside. I'm between Chelmsford and Braintree. I live in the middle of the countryside in a 15th century Elizabethan manor house. We yeah. don't have any of those here yeah. in Los Angeles. <laughs> no, no. This house was finished being built in 1590. Yeah, for a girl from Detroit, you just can't compute it. <laughs> yeah. And so what, and what we're looking at is just a small fraction of the 50 years that you've been in business this is just like a i've been i've been uh, 58 years oh 58 oh 58 years oh uh, my apologies i think you're talking about the first album right we're coming up on well i mean i've been in the business for 58 years because i started at 14 in my first band so and we went immediately on the road did gigs and all that so it's been a long time You are about to play Royal Albert Hall? We play there on Wednesday. And I'm like, I'm, I've been practicing this. My, I've got my intro all worked out. Ready? Oh, yes. Yes, please. <laughs> the queen of rock and roll is playing the Royal Albert Hall. And this is going to become this. <laughs> oh, nice. I Very hope that's good. not blasphemous, but I don't care. Yeah. She's not my queen. She's not my queen, but she does a good job. Yeah, okay. Anyway, I'm looking forward to it, obviously. <laughs> I think your audience will appreciate that. I don't think they, think you know, so. they're going to have no issue with that. I wasn't sure because you're in England, isn't it? It's the middle fingers that the two fingers that you show. Well, in England, this is the same as that. You're right, right. You yep. do that. From what I understand, that's like an archer thing, like uh, in archery back in the 1590s when there was archery. 
Like they would show yeah, that they reason. like I still have my two fingers, and so that was like as they yeah, left. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like my, my dad, I remember my dad coming to some shows, and that you just reminded me, random <laughs> memory. My dad came to some shows in the very early days in the Pleasure Seekers, and I've always had the same attitude. I've always been the devil in me. It's always been the same. Yeah. And I used to do uh, maybe everything is all right, uptight, and I thought that was funny. And my dad said, "Don't do that." Said, <laughs> they do it back. Oh. Yeah. That's the love. There you go. That's rock and roll love right there. He came to be okay with it after a while? No. He just, he just got tired of saying it. You know, I'm, I've got that mentality that if you say don't do something, <laughs> Have you learned- I'm going to do, do it double time then. <laughs> and you raised a, a couple kids as well. Did you learn any lessons like that? Like, don't tell them what not to do because they're just going to do, they're just going to go on and do that. Don't be in a rock and roll band. Don't, don't produce mom's records. <laughs> I didn't do that. I, I didn't do that at all. I was raised with the, the freedom of expression artistically. You know, my dad had five kids. We all played. He played. So it was never a case of having to fight my parents to be in a band. They were all for it. So I tried to give both my kids the same freedom that they, they wanted to pursue that as a job, as a career, completely for it. And I didn't know he was going to turn out like he did my son. God, what a surprise. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Two albums in now, you know? Right. In a good way. A surprise in a good way. Well, he was always in bands, and it's, I think what he did was he quietly got really good on guitar, and he didn't push himself forward until he did. Yeah. This was 219, and he just said, I need to write with you now. And I went, right? Okay, where did that come from? And uh, long story short, he showed me what he had, and I said, okay, can work with that. Started to write a few songs. Went into the studio to make a demo with three songs, having fun. Third demo win. I turned to the engineer and I turned to my son, Richard, and I said, we're making an album. And they said, we know. And all of a sudden, from having fun, it was serious. And it just flew. We really connected. Now, does he take the lead now in this? Or, or is it like, okay, you got to listen to mom? Or how, how's that dynamic work in the studio? Well, when it, we, the first album was um, Getting Your Feet Wet and seeing how we worked together, trying different things. I remember saying to my son, and he had to adjust more than I did because I've worked with family before, he hasn't. Yeah. So for me, it was just quite natural. And also I'm not mom when I'm working. Relationship out the window. But I remember saying to him, now that we know we're making an album, this is on no control. I said, I don't want any barriers. I don't want any tracks to run down. I just want whatever happens, to happen so you've got a very organic album that first album you know bit of him bit of me bit of us together whatever and that was successful very very good critics and then when we were going to do the second one lockdown happened and uh, i said to him we're not on the road now because there's no gig so he was on the road with the band he worked with i was 85 shows i said okay we got the space we're going to write and then he got his confidence up on that first album big time of course yeah. and then he said to me all the way, right from the beginning, I know what this next album should sound like. The benchmark is the first album you made, Susie Quattro. And trust me, he must have said it 800 times. Trust me, trust me. And I'm, hmm? You know, whenever a man says trust me, it doesn't matter if he's right. listening or not. You have to doubt that. But I have now learned to trust him and let him not dictate, but I let him lead the way because what he's showed me now is that he's been watching me, Susie Quattro, I have to say, on stage since as far back as his memory goes. Okay. That's a lot of soaking up DNA. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. And he sees me in a certain way. He's watched me all those years. So what he's done, he's brought back to the table this rebirth. It's like, I didn't think I needed rebirthing. I've always been the same, always go, go, go. But it's like I was able to see myself fresh is the word I'm looking for. He's made me see myself fresh as if I'm just beginning. And actually that was his intention. And he, he managed to do that. So I was as excited. Oh my God, do I do that? Oh wow, you know, and you're watching the reaction. And yeah, so I, I trust him now. And we work well together. Sure, a few bits and pieces artistically, but when you're creating something, if you don't have that, something's wrong. Sometimes, you know, one of you hears something strongly, the other one doesn't. You gotta fight your corner, you know. I don't ever pull rank because I don't think that's right. I don't think that's right. But I, I will say it quite strongly if I believe it, so will he and go back and forth. But it's worked out great because the devil in me. I had the best critics of my career. Embarrassingly wonderful. Was there one song in particular like, wow, you are right. This song reminds me of my debut album. I think The Devil in Me has that. Motor City Riders has that. Uh, I Sold My Soul Today. Well, that's a killer on stage. That's a killer. It's an arm killer. Because it's all the way through and I don't pick. So my arm gets cramped. I wait for those two chords where you stop. It's all good. It's hard. It's hard to choose a track. And even the critics and all the interviews I've done, nobody can choose a track. I love the Christmas one. I love uh, my heart and soul. I need you on for Christmas because it was um, it awakened to me in my Motown, you know, that I grew up with watching your documentary and you going to Motown and like, okay, here you're mm-hmm. like reliving the, the moment again. Is that, was that planned out? Like this documentary, did the director say, okay, let's go to Motown. Let's, let's do like a tour of, of your life or how, how did that come about? That wasn't planned. In fact, that bit of footage I believe was shot at my 65th birthday party in Detroit. Uh, I had my 60th there and my 65th <laughs> and both times we went to Motown studios. I had told the director that story before, you know, when I went down in the pit and played with Jeff Beck and Cozy Pump. Give me a break. Who can say that? Um, <laughs> and, and I'll say it again, you know, name drop. Okay. And he, he wanted me to go in that little pit and repeat the story. So he said, perfect opportunity. Here we are. So, and I went and relived it. Fantastic. Oh. Well, I've been there. And what's amazing is how you say little. It is little. It's tiny. Doesn't like, need to be. Yeah, everyone was, did you feel like you it's were like everyone groups. jammed into well, one little spot? No, you know, when you come up where I've come up from, playing on gymnasium floors, playing on a, on a postage stamp size stage, changing in the kitchen. I mean, you reminded me of a funny story. We were on tour in Australia. It must have been the 80s because I had both kids with me. And we were on top at the pool area where Duran Duran, I believe it was Duran Duran, who also had their kids and nanny with them. <laughs> and we got talking. I'm in the band. He said to me, oh, I'm so tired. I said, why? He said, well, we did three gigs in a row. <laughs> <laughs> 
said, what? And, and that made you tired. That made me laugh. The small violins. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my era, you got the training. You, yeah, you did. You got five sets a night, 45 on, 15 off. You learned your craft. You did. So you, you really did put in your 10,000 hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was like your Beatles moment. Was the Pleasure Seekers like that was like, was that the, the five gigs at the, a night? No, it was exactly what it was. Um, because the, the scene back then was you, you, you had a club circuit, you know, we didn't have any success yet. So and there weren't festivals as yet, you yeah. know, so <laughs> you did your work where you could find it, either teen clubs or drinking clubs or whatever. And we we were an all girl band and we got booked in a lot of um, a lot of bar clubs where they like yeah. to see all the girls, you know, so and we did do 45 on 15 off five sets a night. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Obviously, covers and originals or what, what, what did the what did the audience want to hear? And did, was I, usually you have to fight to play your originals. Was that the situation with you with the Pleasure Seekers? Um, in the Pleasure Seekers, we were a cover band, really. We did uh, a Motown set. We did a Beatles set. We did top 40 set. You know, we had different things that we did. Then when the Pleasure Seekers changed into Cradle, which is only 18 months of the band. Yeah. We decided to write our own material. And then we went out like that. We did a few covers, but we did really our own stuff. So we had changed at that point. We bought my little sister in to sing. And I kind of stood back out of being the full front person. You know, 99% of the songs, I went back a little bit and played bass. Mainly. Did three or four songs a night. And that's the band that Mickey Moe saw. And that's the band where I stepped up and did two songs out of a whole night. And he said, come here. So it was my time. And I, I always say you can't hide the light. You can't hide the light because it shines out no matter no matter what. All right, loving this talk with Susie Quattro, but the time has come where we take a break, so we will be right back. Stumbling back into our chat with Susie Quattro on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. The way you tell it, you were just told to play bass, so that's what you did. Correct. We had seen the Beatles on TV, went running to the phones. Two sisters lived around the corner. My dad's clarinet player, his daughter, she was on the other phone. It's all interrelated. And we just started. And my, my one sister, Patty, she said, why don't we start an our girl band? Everybody went, yeah. And then... It was so funny because I kind of was standing third person hearing all these phone calls. And Nan Ball, she's passed away now. She said, I want to play drums. Diane said, I'm playing keys. Mary said, I'm playing rhythm. Patty said, I'm playing lead. And I went, hello, <laughs> what am I playing? And my sister Patty said, you're playing bass. I said, okay. I already played percussion and classical piano. And I asked my dad for a bass guitar and he was a musician, so he had one. Whenever I tell musicians this, I see them turn green. They want to kill me. My dad gave me for my first bass to play i was 14 years old a 1957 fender precision it's like giving somebody a rolls royce for the first car so i didn't know that there was a smaller neck a smaller i didn't question it because i learned a heavy long neck difficult to play bass 
I ended up a great bass player, yeah. but I didn't know this. It wasn't on purpose. You know, I just said, oh, thanks, Dad. I said, this is what I got to do. But it was a love affair. It was a love affair. As soon as I put that on, yeah. that really felt like me. And you, yeah, you did showcase that in the documentary. Yeah. Like this, this is it. This is my, mm-hmm. it's so, just me. And that must've been tough. I mean, you're a small girl and, and you're, when you're on stage, I guess it, it came naturally to kind of, you know, enhance the music and move around and dance, but you've got this thing this beautiful <laughs> instrument that you have to kind of showcase and, you know, <laughs> got perform. A lot of people say that and I didn't really, it's so funny because apparently, apparently playing bass and lead singing is near impossible. Yeah. I play percussion. So I'm already thinking with all the parts. Okay. Yeah. I play piano. It's a percussive instrument. And I think what worked in my favor, although again, not on purpose, when I was given the bass to learn to play bass in the band, I was also given the job of lead singer. So I learned to play the bass and to sing the lead right at the same time. So for me, they just went together yeah. and never thought about it. Yeah. How lucky was I? Wow. What, uh, how long How long did it take you to realize that there weren't very many lead singers slash bassists out there? Well, everybody kept saying it to me. <laughs> and I kept, I kept going like, what, what is your problem? <laughs> so, well, I, I sing and play, you know. I mean, you must have, you must have been a Paul McCartney fan. Was he your favorite Beatle? He's, he's, I like Paul very much. He's a nice guy. He's another German I like me. He's a good player. He plays, but Paul started on guitars and, and we had this conversation. We had dinner one time and I said to him, I didn't mean to insult him. Actually, I don't think I did insult him, but I said, I'm not a failed guitar player. I'm a bass player. And he went, <laughs> <laughs> you know, how to make friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure he t- took that well. That's It flew out before I could stop it anyway. You can't take it back. It's already there in the air, you know. No, that's mass respect. That. He didn't, he's just like, yeah, okay, you know, just kind of playfully <laughs> play, played with that. I, I love that. Well, just because Kathy Valentine plays bass doesn't mean she's a failed guitar player. No, no. We've had this conversation. That's so funny. I did a, a Zoom when my documentary came out with yeah. Kathy and Cherie and me, and they were hosting it, and I was their guest. We were, it was all for Susie Q. We were talking, and all of a sudden, Kathy was crying. And Cherie cried when she gave me my She Walks Award, my Icon Award. I, I have to tell you the story now that I started. I went to the first premiere of Suzy Q in London at the Regent Theater, and I come up for a Q&A at the end, like you do. And I wanted to see the documentary with an audience, because that's how you really gauge it. You get the reaction, you know? So I snuck in. Wasn't supposed to be in there to the end. I snuck and stood on the side. A couple people saw me, and I went, shh, shh. So I'm watching, feeling everybody reacting, you know? And every girl that came on, and everybody that you can think of, Debbie, uh, Joan, of course, uh, Kathy, Tina Weymouth, Katie Tunstall, Cherie, I'm sure I'm forgetting some. Anyway, every time somebody came on and they said something about me, I was in tears. I didn't have an agenda. I didn't know that I was doing what I was doing because I was just being me. So I didn't go, oh, I'm going to be a girl and do this. Didn't come in my head. I'm just a bass player. I'm a, I'm a musician. And I went home. I went up did the question and answer. Went home. Next day, I called Cherie, good friend of mine now, Curry, Cherie Curry, the uh, ex-lead singer of The Runaways. And I told her the story. And I said, I have to tell you something. I said, I, I've just realized that by me doing what I did, I gave permission to women all over the world to be different. And there was a long pause. And then she, wonderful, she went, and you just got that? Yeah. <laughs> I did just get it. But it's nice because you see what I mean when I say I didn't have an agenda. But now that I get it, it humbles me. And I do realize that I did that without meaning to. But if you think about it psychologically, it had to be done that way that it wasn't done on purpose. 
or it would have been manufactured. You, you know what I mean? Sure. I, could, I look at this in hindsight now. I did not know I was doing what I was doing. I was just being me. And I'm still like that now. I will not change who I am, my voice, my attitude, whatever. Even if I don't make it, I'm going to stay this person. That's kind of my mantra. I've gotten all serious on you now. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, that's all right. So yeah, you didn't realize there were there were barriers. I don't know if naive is the right word, but you're just like, I didn't realize that I couldn't do this, right? So you just... Yeah. Did what what needed to be done? Like, okay, I, well, you know, the, the, the first time, and, and my husband pointed it out to me because I've told this story many times. I was five and a half, and I was watching uh, the Ed Sullivan Show with all five kids, and my mom and dad. You know, everything stopped at eight o'clock Sunday. Yeah. Ed Sullivan, and um, <laughs> five and a half years old only. And at the end of the show, he brings out something for the youngsters, like he said, something for the youngsters. <laughs> and he brings out Elvis Presley doing "Don't Be Cruel." My elder sister, by nine years, starts screaming. <laughs> and I'm only five and a half and I'm looking at her going, what's the matter with you? <laughs> and then I looked at the TV and I went in, 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 in. And I swear to God, like a little light bulb, I'm going to do that. <laughs> and in answer to your question, it didn't occur to me that he was a guy and I was a girl. That never went in my head. Just I'm going to do that. So I guess I'm kind of I, I don't really do gender as such, although I do in some ways. I have a barrier. You know, and I can be one of the guys and tell the dirty joke with you and blah, blah. But you go over that line and then my feminine barrier comes in Mm -hmm. and you only cross the line one time. And you guys had all you and your sisters had all been encouraged by your dad since he was a musician. One hundred percent. He had four daughters, one son. My brother was a teenage star on the Lawrence Welk show in the little band on TV for about a year. My dad was one hundred percent for it. He was helped us get our van, helped us buy our equipment. He turned the garage into a rehearsal space. So we didn't have that problem of fighting with our parents to be in a rock and roll band. Isn't that wonderful? And I'll tell you a little story though, that my dad, something my dad said to me and stayed with me my whole life. Like I said, 58 years in the business. I take it serious what I do, very serious. I was about 16. So I've been in the band two years, you know, with my sisters. And he pulled me aside one day in the house. And he said, I want to talk to you. I said, yeah, he's a musician. He said, it seems to me like you are going to stick with this. This is your profession. I said, yeah, it is. He said, okay, first of all, what you're doing, this is a job. It's your job. I went, okay. He said, and if there's 10 people in the audience for 10,000, every single one of them put their hand in their pocket and took out their money and paid to see you and you Oh, them. And I went, oh, the best lesson I could have ever been given. That gave me my worth ethic on stage for the rest of my life. So I'm hearing this story. And of course, I'm wondering, we're of a certain age and we immediately, I immediately think of the Partridge family now. Like, I don't know, were you a <laughs> consultant on this or, or did they consult you? I mean, because that's, that sounds like the story. It's so funny. That, that That's a little bit watered down version of what we did, but of course, it, everything it is. It's, yeah, it, it was. It was a musical upbringing. It was. We did um, family shows every get together. You know, all the family trips in the car. We sang. It was two sisters and three sisters, then four sisters. My brother played. Just, I guess, just a real musical family. Yeah, it was. Did your mom? Did she play? My mom. My mom sang, but she wasn't a musician or anything. But yeah. her whole family, which she never stopped telling us, were campers <laughs> in the religion and hungry. So she kept saying, you get your voices from me. Well, according to her, I get my voice from her, my sensitivity, <laughs> my heart, and my morals. All, all the good qualities, right? All the bad qualities are with from dad. <laughs> all my bad qualities. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
I think it was my dad's dream for his kids to make it because he worked at General Motors in the day yeah. and then worked in the evening as a musician. So he was off board, like I said, nothing but encouragement, nothing but encouragement. All right. So then let's go to London. All of a sudden they're like, Susie, we just we want you and just you. And we're taking you. We're going to groom you in London, which is not Detroit. No. Uh, and <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you, you know, that was touched on a lot in the documentary, but you were literally by yourself. It was, you didn't have anybody else. You didn't have, right? I was, it was probably the loneliest time of my life before I formed the band again. I was in Cradle. They had pushed me to the back. I got really good on my bass at that point, yeah. naturally. Mickey came, saw it and he picked me out and he said, I want you. It was all done within one week. Electra Records had been to see the band. Yeah. And Jack Waltzman, the president, offered me a solo contract. The same week Mickey flew in, saw the band, offered me a solo contract. Jack Holtzman said, I'll take it to New York and make it into the next Janis Joplin. And he Mickey was, he was with Electra, right? Jack Jack was Electra. Electra with yeah. um, and Mickey said, I'll take you to London and make into the first Susie Quattro. So guess where I went? <laughs> I'm not Janis Joplin. It, it, I, he didn't see me, I didn't think. Didn't see me who right. I was, you know? I'm a rocker. Janice was a bluser. I'm a rocker. It just need you find that a lot in the music business when something has been successful or well received, you know, by an audience. They try to mold you into that. I didn't want to be molded into anything. I didn't find this out till about two or three years after I came to London. I got very friendly with Mickey's wife, who I'm his widow now, who I'm still friendly with, very friendly with now. She's a good friend. He called her after seeing me in Detroit. He called her quite late at night because you know five hours different. Yeah. And he called her and he said. He's really excited. He said, I found it. I found it. I found it. At last, I found it. And she said, what? And he said, I don't know, but I found it. <laughs> and that's that kind of explains it all to me, you know? Yeah. Because it was unusual. I couldn't have even told you what it was. I, I didn't know I had something different. I did know the whole time that I was in the bands that I could not find my niche to fit into because I didn't follow any other rules. It, it's the only way I can explain it. Nothing felt right. Yeah. So I knew that whatever I had was a one-off kind of thing or it hadn't been done before. So I thought, okay, I just got to stick to this. Got to be me. Can't be anybody else. So that brings up another point because a lot of the other part is finding the songs. And so a, a lot of a lot of the songs were created by a different team. Your producers, Mike Chapman. Kitchen, yeah. and was that a fighting point? Like I need to create my own songs or I like these songs that you're bringing to me. Obviously you, you like them. Um, was that like a discussion like, okay, who's going to write these songs and or we want to write these songs based on your personality and your your stage persona? Oh, it happened. It happened very easily. It happened nicely. Mickey signed me as a singer, songwriter, musician. That was how he brought me over to England. The plan was to make an album and send me back. So we made quite a few recordings with really good studio people, me on bass. I was going stir crazy. So I told Mickey, I need to form a band again on the road. This isn't working for me. Nothing was happening. We couldn't find the direction naturally by myself, you know. So I got the band together and the band then rehearsed up all my original songs. Then we went on tour with Slade and Thin Lizzy and the band formed. It really got its sound and its style. And when we came back from that tour, Mickey said, um, okay, this your band is sounding really good. He said, and I like everything you're doing, doing all original material. He said, I've just signed these two single writers, singles. He said, do you mind if they come and see what you're doing? and maybe craft a three minute single out of it. And I said, not whatsoever, would that be dumb to say no? So they came, watched the show, and they wrote Can the Can, number one. <laughs> we had a real good relationship. I wrote most of the albums with my ex and then eventually by myself, and they would provide most of the time 
the three-minute advertisement for the album. All right, explain Can the Can. What? Uh, <laughs> I, I've listened to it so many times. <laughs> can it. Can it. You want to put something safe? Can it. Get rid of the... But, well, what's the can? Can the can. <laughs> It's just saying good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's the secret. All that, these years. That. So you, you release these great singles and they, they start to hit in the UK. And of course, the UK made sense because you're living there. You're performing a lot in that area. All well, over the world, actually. And okay. I started going yeah. back, back in America in okay. 74. That was my first tour. And I, I worked a lot, 74. Right there up until 1981, we did tours every year. There was a little space of that era, 73, 74, where whatever was happening everywhere else in the world wasn't hitting in America. I, I, nobody can explain that. They just didn't get that little couple of years. So I don't know why. But I mean, everybody, then they got to know me. Um, they knew me anyway, because I did lots of tours. Yeah. And my albums did well. And I made lower end of the charts. But then, of course, Happy Days made me a household <laughs> name. Yeah. And you did have uh, Rodney. We're in Los Angeles. So Rodney was, uh, he, he got you. Did you ever go to the English disco? I, I, I you know, we were too young. I, what was that like, that scene? That was great. That was great. We did we did the whiskey. We did the Roxy. We did all those clubs. The whiskey. The guy said we had the most people in since the doors. The oh. line was around blocks and blocks and blocks. So people definitely knew who I was, but we didn't have the single success there. Yeah, that was the difference. Yeah. And why Australia? I mean, you had tremendous success yeah. in Australia. I'm their lady, you know. Um, I'm now about to do my 38th tour there. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Oh, and there's me not liking to fly. You must be kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I always say that that's that's God's natural balance. Yeah. I'm going to give you a successful career in show business, <laughs> but I'm also going to give you a fear of flying. Okay. <laughs> deal. Yeah. There's your deal. Yeah. It was a deal. <laughs> what do you do for the fear of flying? I just live with it. It's much better. I used to pretend I was fine and now I don't. And because I just say I'm not, then I'm abs- I am absolutely fine. Yeah. Just face it, I fly all the time. Got to do what you got to do. Mickey called me in his office. I had missed a TV show in Germany because I just didn't want to get on the airplane. And he went a little bit mad at me. Called me in his room in his office and he said, your single's coming out in America and it's going to be a hit. He said, you can't go everywhere by boat and train and car in America. You're going to have a choice to make. You can have a small career or a big career. Very clever. I started to fly. No choice. <laughs> He put it right. We are an 80s podcast and you're releasing your 
these three albums that are coming yeah. out again. Uh, Rock Hard. The Rock Box. Yeah, Main Attraction and Unreleased Emotion. The 80s, I think it might have been the kind of, for you, creatively, kind of uh, an interesting period. I think you might have uh, kind of explored different options in the 80s. What, oh, I did. I did. Yeah. I started to um, write a lot by myself. It was at that point that I remember saying to my ex that he wasn't really writing with me anymore. And he said, I'm not. So I was on my own. And then I did type, uh, start to explore. I wasn't trying to fit into Susie Quattro anymore. I was just writing. So I felt free. Do you feel like there's yeah. two different, there's Su- like Susan Quattro and Susie Quattro? Are those two different people or are you always Susie? <laughs> I'm always Susie Quattro, but there is little Susie from Detroit and Susie Quattro. <laughs> my my autobiography was written in two people. So little Susie from Detroit and Susie Quattro. There's definitely two two of those. And you want to know who you're talking to now, right? Yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> well, you've got the turtleneck sweater. You're not wearing a cat suit. I, I think I know which suit. <laughs> this, is, this is little Susie. Is Susan? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> talking to little Susie. So you do a radio show. We, we both come from radio. So I'm curious. You've been doing a radio show for years on BBC. 15 years on BBC Radio 2. I was always told when I started to do interviews that I have really good radio voice, apparently. It was very, very personal. Sounds like I'm talking just to you. And eventually they approached me. And yeah, 15 years, I finally stopped. But I, I do like radio. I do like being on the other side of the microphone. I find that interesting. I did mm-hmm. my own series of shows. I did documentaries. I did Quattrophonic. I was even up for the Sony Broadcaster of the Year Award. It was quite a natural thing for me to to talk on the radio. I did everything. I, I had my own themed show called Quattrophonic. I did two years of documentaries. I had Rockin' with Susie Q. Then I had Wake Up Little Susie. Lots of documentaries with that. I've got to meet a lot of people that way. Yeah, I enjoyed the process. I enjoyed it. It's howling that gave, it gave you that, that kind of a raspy voice. That that's a good radio voice when you can. It is a good radio voice. Yeah. I was told that right from the start. They used to say, "Oh, you should do radio." I said, "I'm having a hit record. What's the matter with you?" <laughs> <laughs> it's a fallback career. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, and so actually talking about America, I was because it's on Wikipedia. I assume it's true, but it said uh, when you <laughs> when you uh, accepted, you you got. In April 2013, you performed for the first time in 30 years since 1983 at the Detroit Music Awards. 30 years you did not, you didn't play in America. What, uh, why can't we see you, Susie? I don't know. It drives me crazy. It's like every time I try to get something happening over there, it falls through at the last minute. I did play Canada in 2019, did two shows at the casino. They sold it out, 5,000 people. I think there's going to be a big splurge now to get me to do shows there. I have people working on it. I will be back. Okay. I like to hear that. I promise. And yeah, we got to push you for the for the Rock Hall. Is that Does that interest you at all, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Is that like something? Well, I'm, I'm in great company not being in it, but- um, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. <laughs> whenever I talk to people about it and everybody says, it's just so, uh, the only word I can find is stupid. Yeah. It, it's just dumb. It's like a no brainer. You put the first one in there first one yeah hello yeah. <laughs> so I, ho- I hope they correct it i have a feeling they will eventually correct it and what is that Susie quattro show now like at, at the royal albert hall a little mixture of everything we know the intro yeah we know I, the I, intro I, for about five years now, i've been doing my solo two-hour show with an interval and i take you right the way through the hits favorite album tracks do some talking show some pictures it's like a real evening of entertainment taking you through my entire career and it's just, it's my favorite kind of show to do. No time limit. Just get in there with the people, you know, becomes one big living room. So, yeah, I would imagine like you're, you know, when you work, did like Annie Get Your Gun, you started to learn like, oh, did that help your concert shows? You know, realizing like what, what musicals are like and how they present their story. 
Yes, it did. It made you um, focus more. You have to draw everything. It's a different thing to rock and roll where you let it out. This is more here. And it taught me a vocal warm up that I use for every single rock and roll show. 15 minute, very hard calisthenics vocal warm up. I wouldn't do a show without it now. So that's what that gave me. I always knew I could act. I always knew I could do musicals. I am uh, unashamedly an artiste and I do have many feathers in my cap. It's just how I am. I'm creative. Yes. And you have a book of poetry. I'm just about to release my second book of poetry. I'm now on my sixth book. Jeez. <laughs> Unbelievable. So I've just now put it all together. It's just gone to the publishers. And yeah, I love poetry. I love writing. I love creating. My three keywords, create, communicate, entertain. That's me. The poetry comes anywhere. And I've been writing so much these last two years. Unbelievable. That's great. Can't seem to stop. Yeah. I'm glad uh-huh. you included that in the, the documentary. That was really, uh, really cool. Amazing. Nice touch, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and also, I again from Wikipedia, there there was um, <laughs> I know there there was another attempt at a documentary originally that to do a Susie Quattro documentary. My friend, my friend Vicky Blue, one of the people involved in that documentary decided she didn't like the way she looked on camera and wouldn't give permission for her bits to be shown, and it kind of took a lot out of it. So that that was what I don't want to name any names, but. You know, they happily gave the interview and didn't like how they looked afterwards. So, but, you know, she might release that one day. I don't know. We're good friends. Okay. Yeah. And they. How interesting. Yeah. And you couldn't borrow any of that to put in this current doc. This. No. Yeah. She wants to keep that pure. And I don't blame her, you know. Oh, this was great. This Susie Q was a great. And it had your, obviously your full. Really good. I wanted it um, warts and all. That's what I insisted. And I said, unless it tells the whole story, even with the cringe moments in it, which are the best. Cringe moments, you know, where you want to crawl out of the theater. They're the best moments. So, yeah, everybody loved it for the reason that it was a real documentary. Indeed. Okay, Susie. Well, thank you so much for your time. This was wonderful. And thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, My pleasure. We look forward to get to the States. Would you come on? We're waiting yeah, for you. I know. I'm trying. And believe me, I will get there. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Well, that was great. Susie Quattro, ladies and gentlemen. How about that? Oh, future Rock and Roll Hall of Famer. Should be current Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, for sure. She's an icon. I wish we had more time with her. <laughs> yes, well, you know, rockers gotta rock, so... I was waiting for you to ask your Leather Tuscadero questions or something. Oh, God, I wish we would... I do want to... I did want to ask more about Leather Tuscadero, but I didn't want to, you know, that to be the focus. <laughs> I could obsess oh, I over mean, that for a while. Pinky's younger sister. Roz Kelly. Oh, look at you, yeah. Big that fan. Pinky. Come on, I, I know my happy days. Nice. Yeah, no, she was, I just, but even because I didn't know much about her, I don't think any of us did when she was on Happy Days. When she showed up, you just thought she was the coolest, you know, just for the reason, just for the way she presented herself. Right. You know, and the, you know, the role she played. And standing next to Richie Cunningham, who was the, the nerdy of the nerds, and, you know, like, oh my God, okay, there's the difference. Yeah, yes. <laughs> We're Richie Cunningham, and she's, she's leather. <laughs> Tuscadero. Susie Quattro, the coolest of the cool. Yeah. Yes. And she is. So Stumbling In was her biggest, you know, her only huge hit here. Well, I think it was huge. Was it as huge as I remember it being? Number three. It hit number three. Yeah. I I forgot to ask about Stumbling. I wanted to bring that one up, but. Yeah. um. Our love is alive. And so we begin. Foolishly laying our hearts on the table. Stumbling.
never really broke through in the States. And that's probably why she's not in the Rock Hall right now. Yeah. Like people think just stumbling in and leather Tuscadero and that's it. Yeah, but you, I mean, they, they have to be looking. And, and if, if it's the musicians, that we understand it a little better now, the musicians that are putting forth the artists. I mean, everybody knows her and who she is and what her contribution is. Yeah. Whether or not she, you know, her hits were huge here. Her contribution to music. It just seems weird. I mean, so almost random that she wasn't, that she was so huge there. And I mean, maybe like glam her thing. Like the more I listen to her music, because I listened to a lot over the last few days, it is pretty glammy, actually. She is just, I just, I love everything about her. She really, she seems very genuine. Like she says about herself, she just, it, you know, what you see is what you get. Yeah, that was yeah. to her success, I think. Yeah. It was, she was just being herself. So I'm going to challenge our listeners to to give a listen to but some of her other albums. I challenge you to have a listen because it's rocking. Don't challenge. What we learned from Susie Quattro is you don't tell people what to do. They'll do right. the opposite. That, that's so, true. Okay. So keep Susie out of the rock hall, please. I mean, she does, you know, clearly she, you guys are doing the right thing by keeping her out. She has three album box set, three disc sets, rock hard, main attraction, unreleased emotion. I looked on all music and they had this quote about the, the album Rock Hard saying Rock Hard is a necessity and a solid listen for anyone interested in what female oriented rock was like before the advent of girl rockers like L7 and Hole. Yeah, very, very good. Let's wrap up this episode. Once again, we have new episodes every Friday and some of this will be chopped up. You want to see what Susie looks well, Susie looks great. She's amazing. Right. Holly chops up these episodes and you can give a look. The wall of uh, gold records is pretty impressive. <laughs> It's real. It's not a backdrop. Those are all her gold records, and there were more than just what you see. But yes, I will. It will be on YouTube at What Difference Does It Make Podcast, and our other social media at WDDIM Podcast. We are a proud member of the Pantheon Podcast family. Love it. Okay, so until next Friday, make sure to subscribe so you know you get that reminder that we are here every Friday on the, the What Difference Does It Make Podcast. This is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.